Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 25. 2 Chronicles chapter 25. And I um, changed the title on this, although I forgot to mention to the tape ministry, so they probably have the title I had in the bulletin. But uh, I changed to, uh, to a half-hearted man. A half-hearted man. Let's begin with verses 1 and 2. And it says, Amaziah <clears throat> was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. And that's why I said he was a half-hearted man. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but you know, he, he didn't do it with all of his heart. Here we see <clears throat> Amaziah is appointed king. Now, there's a lot of people who are godly, who are mean, or they're just into themselves. But then there's just something about some of those folks that that kind of makes them less ugly. Uh, There's also good people who are well-liked. They're admired for for doing a lot of good things. And yet, there are some negative things about them that takes away from their goodness. But for every good man and every good woman, there may be something to say about him or her that isn't good. But it might be so small that it's really not that big a deal. And only God knows, and maybe a few others, that what Amaziah did here was right, but not with a perfect heart. That that, That is, he didn't do it with the right motive. Amaziah wasn't wholehearted in his relationship to the Lord. Therefore, he wasn't wholehearted in what he did for the Lord. And this half-heartedness surfaced in the way that he argued with the prophet about the will of God, as we'll see when we get to verse 9. You see, the king didn't want to send the mercenaries home because it would have meant forfeiting the 100 talents of silver that he had paid the king of Israel for these soldiers to fight with him. This amounted, these 400 talents of silver amounted to nearly four tons of silver. Quite costly. Amaziah was counting the cost and he was adjusting his priorities, hoping that he could change God's mind. And the prophet wisely replied that God could give him much more if he would only trust him and obey him. Amaziah did what was right on the outside. But inside, he often resented what he had to do. And, and there are Christians that, that do the same thing. You know, they, they look joyful on the outside, but, you know, they, they, they're half-hearted about what they're doing for God. Amaziah may have been smiling on the outside, but he was frowning on the inside. So again, his obedience at best was half-hearted. When the prophet promised God's deliverance, Amaziah first complained, his first complaint was out the money that he was going to lose. And he wanted military success more than he wanted God's will. You know, we have to search our hearts and we have to get rid of anything, any resistance that we might feel when it comes to obeying God. Grudging obedience is not true obedience and it's not pleasing to God. You know, God says we're to do things you know, cheerfully, not grudgingly. And if we would seek the Lord's will before we rush into disobedience, we'd avoid a lot of trouble for ourselves. But even after we change our minds and we decide to obey the Lord, there could still be some painful consequences to go through. And there are some 
obvious flaws in Christian character. And we see it, uh, you know, in Amaziah. You know, a Christian man or woman might behave decently as far as the obvious is concerned, but they're so unfriendly and so distant, distant, they don't have much influence on anybody. Then there's others who can be very passionate and very enthusiastic for the Lord, very open-hearted and very giving, but they're irritable, they're short-tempered, or they're legalistic and not careful with their choice of words. So people don't want to go near them. They stay away from them. They don't like them. And so their reputation is that they're unapproachable. There are others that might be loving and compassionate, always ready to listen to every problem or sorrow, but they're very weak. They're easily influenced. They're gullible. So no one can really rely on what they say. And lastly, you have the person who can have money or, 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 or they're always listen to their, uh, I'm sorry, they always have money or uh, they have all qualities and graces of Christian character. They're flawless in their behavior. They're passionate, enthusiastic, loving, compassionate, but they're very weak and they're too vulnerable uh, to temptation in a certain area. And their friends are always worried about they're going to give in and fall. So that being the case, these are flaws. And they're flaws that need to be pointed out by friends. Are you a good enough friend to point out your friend's flaws? And, to be, and, and, and by the one who has them, will, are they honest enough to recognize them and then humbly uh, you know, change them or, or listen to those who, who you know, have, have mentioned it to them? Secondly, um, these flaws are to be carefully and sincerely corrected and removed so that the gospel and our testimony won't be affected in a negative way so that Jesus will be pleased and honored. And then there are more serious inconsistencies. First of all, in Christian life. It might be somebody who just thinks of themselves uh, and who others think is a true disciple of the Lord. And, 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 you know, that being the case, they can fall into a wicked, you know, self-indulgence or uh, they can they, they can fall into a prideful and conceited spirit that others hate. And, and we know that 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 haughty spirit, that conceited spirit is also offensive to God or they can fall into a careless and irreverent attitude that's displeasing to the Lord and the godly man. Or they fall into a deep selfishness that doesn't care about anything but their own selves, their own temporary uh, interests. Also, there's inconsistencies in Christian work. It could be a person who's shown a lot of sincerity in serving the Lord. And they were useful. But then they either lose all interest in serving the Lord. Um, they, 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 just, you know, they just stop. Uh, you know, they, they just, they lose interest in, in something that, that they used to think was important and they used to work hard at it. Or there are other inconsistencies in Christian work. They become so, again, opinionated or so legalistic that nobody can work with them or, or nobody wants to. And you know what? They just leave them alone. So now that person is basically put out of action and he does it by himself, and it's because of their aggressiveness. And a lot of times, we find that there's one big mistake, which is 
They never surrender themselves completely to the service of God. And that's probably what Amaziah did. Amaziah probably worshipped the Lord, but only with, his ha- with half of his heart. There was something that was holding Amaziah back. His godliness was shallow. It was formal. It was forced. Basically, there was a lot that was lacking in his life. He was like the rich young ruler, you know, who, who kept the commandments from his youth. But he was never honestly ready to give up everything to receive eternal life. You see, if we don't totally surrender ourselves to the Lord, we'll see as we go our way that at some important crisis in our life, and our important crisis in our, disobe- in our obedience, that will be to blame. Or our devotion will fall. It will fail. Or our character will be flawed. And our reputation will break down. Or we'll leave his service and then lose our reward. So what do we have to do? We need to really understand how great and how timely are the demands of our Lord. The commands that he gives us. We also need to give our hearts and our lives to him in complete and joyful surrender. So that nobody can say we did right but not with a perfect heart. Look at verse 3 now. Now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established for him that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. So what did Amaziah do? He killed all the men who murdered his father back in chapter 24, verse 25. Verse 4 now. However, he did not execute their children, but did as it is written in the law and the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall die for his own sin. Here, Amaziah did what was right in the sight of the Lord in this respect, that as he obeyed the Mosaic law in Deuteronomy twenty four sixteen, which is a really important principle. He says there that that, that, that passage says, You will never be judged because of the sins of your mother or your father. You will be judged only for your sins. Now you might, on the other hand, you might have a godly mother, you might have a godly father. But you know what? You'll never get to heaven because you have godly parents. You'll go to heaven because of the faith that you have and must exercise in Jesus Christ. Verses 5 through 9. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds according to their father's houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? The question asked by by Amaziah so seriously and so worried about, you know, it's really ridiculous. Verse 9, he says, But what shall we do about the hundred talents that I gave to the troops of Israel? He hired 100,000 troops from Israel to come to battle with him, and he paid them each a hundred talents. 
Would it be the right thing? He's thinking, would it be the right thing and the smart thing to waste all that money to just throw it away? Because the prophet said, hey, don't take them to battle with you. Should we just throw away a hundred talents? Suppose he defeated the enemy without the help of these mercenaries. Then he's thinking, I wasted all of that money for nothing. Amaziah was in a place where he had to make a choice that many people have to make many times. He had to choose between his money or his God, even though he put himself in this position. And you know what? That's what happens to many people all the time. And it, many ha- it happens when you don't go to God in the first place to see what he should do. People do that every day. And you know what? Christians have that battle every Sunday when the Lord says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or necessity. Paul said, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. It's amazing how, you know, it's hard to, to, to give to the Lord, you know, uh, our, our tithes and offerings because, you know, we, we think it's so much. But then we don't think it's a lot to spend it on something else that, you know, that we want, that we want to have. But at least he had the wisdom, Amaziah had the wisdom to listen to the man of God, to the prophet. And to believe the prophet, and he made the right choice. The prophet told him, he said, The Lord is able to give you much more than this, Amaziah. Charles Garrett, an Episcopal Episcopal missionary in the 1800s, he tells a story about a widow that he knew. Her husband had died and left her with a family that she had to struggle to support. So what did she do to help her family? She opens a little store in the suburbs of the city. A salesman came around who was a, who was a salesman uh, for a wine merchant. And he asked this lady, hey, how about selling some of my wine in your store? And she said, not a drop shall enter into my house. He said, you know what? It would help you so much. You'd make money, you know, off of selling the wine. You know, and that's, you know, and you need that money. She said, if it helps me some, it will harm me more. She says, I have children around me, and whether I prosper or not, I will not gain anything that might injure my fellow man. Her business did well. Then a close friend of of this Episcopal minister went to see her, and he said, I can't understand how you're getting by and, and why so many people stop and shop at your store, because they pass a lot of good stores before they get to yours. She said in reply, You enjoy working with numbers. Get out your slate and put down how far off a man must live from my shop that God can't bring him here. That settled it. He said, God is able to give more than this. We can never outgive God. On the choices that we make, when this question comes up for the decision, sacrificing our money or giving up the favor of God, There are some important issues depending upon that decision. How about the limitations on the value of money? You know, a lot of people think that that money will solve everything. Amaziah made a financial agreement with these Israelite soldiers. He offered to pay them to fight for him there in verse 6. But before they could even go to battle, Amaziah sent them home with pay because of what the prophet said. He warned Amaziah, don't take these people into battle with you. But I gave them each 100 talents equal to four tons of silver, even though it cost him a bundle. 
Amaziah was smart enough to see that the money wasn't worth the damage that this relationship could cause. What would you do in a situation like this? Here's the point. Money must never stand in the way of making right decisions. Being in the Lord's will is priceless. It's worth more than all the money in the world. Now, money, hey, it serves a lot of useful purposes. It can buy you a lot of the things that you need, a lot of the things that you want. It can buy you the comforts of life, entertainment, pleasures. Again, education, power, the list goes on. But its power is very limited. And in the end, money cannot guarantee happiness. And it often brings with it a lot of heavy responsibility. Also, money's power is short term. I mean, all it takes is an accident or a catastrophe. And you know what? Something that you weren't expecting, and it can take away all your money in a flash. And when you die, you have to give it up. Money is totally powerless when some of those sadder and, and, and more serious troubles of life come up, like, like a terminal illness. Money tempts you to be lazy and wasteful, and it could, be very, and it could very possibly ruin more lives than it blesses. Also, we see the endless blessings, though, of the favor of God. The Lord wasn't only to give Amaziah much more than 100 talents of silver, but he was also able to bless him in ways that were way better than having material things ever could. And God is more than able and more than wanting to bless us. We should willingly want to give up money if he asks in order to be true and loyal disciples to our master. And to keep our integrity. Because you see, if we do, and we do it for Jesus' sake, and the gospel's sake, he will give us a lot more than we would ever lose. For example, he'll give us the peace of God. God will give us his peace. That peace, Paul said, that passes all understanding and exceeds all material worth. God will give us the encouraging and personal friendship of himself, of his person. God will give us a life of good and productive service. We'll be fruitful for God, and he'll give us eternal life. So when you look at all these things and you take them into consideration, we, should be, we, we, sh- we shouldn't be worried about losing 100 or even 1,000 talents. Verses 10 through 16. So Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. Therefore, their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. And then Amaziah strengthened himself, and leading his people, he went to the valley of salt, and he killed 10,000 of the people of Seir. Also, the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive, brought them to the top of the rock, and cast them down from the top of the rock so that they all were dashed in pieces. But as for the soldiers of the army, which Amaziah had discharged so that they would not go with him to battle, they raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Haran, killed 3000 in them and took much spoil. Now, it was so that after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the people of Seir, set them up to be his gods and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah, and he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from your hand? 
So it was, as he talked with him, that the king said to him, Have we made you the king's counselor? Cease. Why should you be killed? Then the prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not heeded my advice. What you see here in Amaziah is the foolishness of false religion. The prophet had good reason for what he said to Amaziah. And his, his argument was solid. And, and, you know, it's surprising here when you see his interest in idolatry. And again, the people who are interested in idolatry. I mean, what stubborn foolishness on Amaziah's part, notice, to stop serving the true and the living God. And the true and the living God had just shown him a sign of his power and his goodness. And he stopped serving the living God to serve and worship the gods of the same people that he just defeated in battle. Think of it. He just defeated these people who worship these gods that he's now going to worship. I mean, they couldn't save the people that he defeated. What are they going to do for him? You see what foolishness it is. He needed to be rebuked for what he did because it was so wrong. It made no sense. And anybody who was familiar with the history of the Hebrews, they might have known that faithfulness to God brought victory and prosperity, but rejection and idolatry, it brought misery and despair. But you see, this shows us again the deceitfulness of sin. Sin blurs your vision and it clouds your judgment. We find the king here and his court. We find his priests and his people falling into disobedience and sin. And the foolishness of false religion, and especially being spiritually unfaithful, teaches us something here. It teaches us that a lot of people worshiping false gods, their success is only temporary. Now, it might be physical enjoyment. It might be having wealth. It might be social position, political power, or, you know, professional recognition. These worshipers are not blessed by the gods that they're serving. Because these so-called powers are weak themselves. They couldn't even deliver their own people. They couldn't deliver their own worshipers. Amaziah defeated them. They don't and can't deliver them from failure. Disappointment, heartache, misery, and so on. They don't, false gods don't give you lasting joy. They don't brighten up your life. They don't brighten up the life of those who seek and serve them. Even people who have reached their goals, goals that they've set for themselves and have confessed more than once, you know what, I'm still not happy. You know, they haven't, they haven't found that joy, that peace. Instead, they experience, you know, anxiety. They want more. You know, they envy they feel bored. They feel defeated. So then why should you or I become another sad statistic among the unblessed and be deceived and betrayed? Why should we have taste? Why, when we have tasted better things, why should we be so foolish to leave our rock for their pebble, which is not like our rock? Why should we seek after gods that can't deliver their own people? And this foolishness is even bigger than we think. Because God has shown us the wisdom of godliness. 
Because the wisdom of godliness has been confirmed over and over again and overwhelmingly that godliness has promises us for us today and in the life to come. Those who follow Jesus Christ, no one can tell you that to be a true disciple of Christ and, his, and being his faithful servant is to be filled with all joy. It's to be comforted in all sorrow. It's to be exalted in obscurity and lowliness of life. It's to serve in the best. I mean, it's, in, it's to serve in the best of all works. It's serving in the best thing that we could ever do. And that's witnessing the Lord Jesus to men. To teach them about Christ and the salvation that he offers. And then the, God, the witness, wisdom of godliness is, is, is to, you know, we, it's kept by the most wonderful hope. We're kept by the most wonderful hope. And that is the hope of everlasting life with him and in his presence. After the victory, Amaziah went back and he took the idols that, that, of those that he defeated and he sacrificed to them. Again, this shows us how very vulnerable to sin we are after a great victory. Because you see, when we win a great victory and, and, and you know, we, we've, we've been successful, we feel confident. We relax. We're at peace. We're, we want to celebrate. We're ready to celebrate. So what do we do? We get relaxed and we let our guard down. And if during that excitement we let our guard down, Satan comes in and he can attack with all kinds of temptations. You see, when you win a victory, watch out. Because after the mountaintop experiences come the valleys. And that's what happened with Amaziah here. Amaziah made a foolish mistake by worshiping the gods of the nation that he just defeated. But you see, before this, he was so impressed by what the Edomites had done. He wanted to worship their idols. But again, how foolish to serve gods of a defeated enemy. But you know what? We make the same mistakes as Amaziah when we chase after money or power or recognition or something else that we make our idol. By recognizing the emptiness of these worldly things, these pursuits, we can free ourselves from wanting to follow after them. And because Amaziah did this, we see that the Lord became angry with Amaziah when he brought back the idols to Judah. And yet God, who could have just, you know, said, wiped him out. What does God do? He responds to Amaziah's half-heartedness and his, and his foolishness by sending a prophet to him. By, by again, you know, uh, wanting, trying to win him back to the God. God tried one more time to bring this wandering nation back to himself. I mean, it shows us that we should be so thankful to God for his enduring mercies every moment of the day. Thankful to God who loves us so very much and cares for us so much, even when his people reject him. When we love someone who rejects us or our advice, you know, when somebody maybe, you know, rejects us or, or, or something that we might say, we need to remember how great God treats us, how merciful he is to us. 
And we need to lay aside our anger and we need to lay aside our hurt of the rejection. Even when we might feel that it was the right thing or that we had the right to do it. We need to find a way to show that person how much God cares. Verses 17 through 28. Now Amaziah, king of Judah, asked advice and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face one another in battle. So Amaziah had gotten so puffed up because he had whipped the Ammonites. He calls the king Jehu and says, you know what? Let's you and I have, let's you and I go to battle. That's what pride does. He, he, he you know, thought he was more powerful than he really was. Verse eight. And Joash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah. And he said, and he tells him this parable, this story. The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon saying, give your daughter to my son, his wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. Indeed, you say that you have defeated the Edomites and your heart is lifted up to boast. Notice he tells them, stay at home now. Why should you meddle with trouble that you should fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not heed, for it came from God that he might give them into the hand of their enemies because they sought the gods of Edom. So Joash, king of Israel, went out and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemosh, which belongs to Judah. And notice, Judah was defeated by Israel. So Amaziah, who thought he was so tough because he whipped the Adamites, got defeated by Israel, who he, who he you know, chose off, if you will. And Judah was defeated by Israel. And every man fled to his tent. Then Joash, the king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, at Beth Shemesh. And he brought him to Jerusalem. He broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. And he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom, the treasures of the king's house and hostages, and returned to Samaria. Um, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah from first to last, indeed, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? After the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem and he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. Then they brought him on horses and buried him with his fathers in the city of Judah. Amaziah's presumption cost him a lot more than he ever bargained for. In the conversation between these two kings, Joash and Amaziah, what happened afterward gives us a good picture of how wrong and risky it is to presume. Now, we might get puffed up. We might be pres uh, presumptuous. Uh, we might get it from the smallest success. Verse 19, Joash said, Indeed, you say that you have defeated the Edomites and your heart is lifted up to both. He said, Look, Amaziah, you say because you have defeated the, the Edomites, you know, you're puffed up. You, you're lifted up to both. Now you want to take me on. You see... Some men get puffed up so easily. You know, and all it takes is the slightest compliment, the slightest praise, the smallest success to fill them with pride, causing them to think more highly of themselves than they should. And it makes them think they're able to do things that they're not even close to being able to do. 
And that's what happened with Amaziah here. What it shows us is that it doesn't take much for arrogance to raise its ugly head. And it doesn't take much to stir it up. But when it surfaces, it may lead to a sinful disrespect. Here, Amaziah's uh, presumption, the king of Israel, provoked the the disrespectful answer from King Joash of Judah. And disrespect is unbecoming. Now, people mock others pretty often. And those who do, uh, who do it, it takes a lot of pride. But it's it's offensive to God. They take a lot of pride in it, though, when they mock people, you know, when they're puffed up. But first of all, it's offensive to God. We might pity. We might condemn. We might rebuke one another rightfully and faithfully. But to ridicule one another, it's shameful, it's ungodly, and it's harmful. Joash was probably feeling a little satisfaction here because he was being referred to as the cedar in this story to Amaziah. Joash was the cedar. Amaziah was the thistle. And so again, Joash was probably feeling a little satisfaction being referred to as the cedar. And he sent his message to Amaziah pretty uh, with, with a lot of enjoyment. But he'd be sad to see one of his children treating another with disrespectful criticism. Disrespect may be a satisfying thing, but it's a sinful thing. Also, what we see uh, when, when you know, arrogance suffers it may suffer a humiliating defeat. We see that in verses 21 through 22. You know, pride may, you, when, you, you know, when, when pride gets you, you can expect failure. And you expect, and can expect humili- humili- humiliation when you presume things. When you take things for granted. It's just a matter of time before you end up biting off more than you can chew. And when you take on something that you can't handle. And then we see that it doesn't end well. Jesus said in Luke 14, 31, count the cost. He said, you know, before you do something, count the cost. Jesus said, what king going to war against another uh, king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Whatever you do. The presumptuous man is on his way to an embarrassing defeat. And he will try to do what he can, or I should say what he can't do, but he'll fail big time. Also, arrogance may cause you to pay the price in other ways. In Amaziah's case, he didn't just suffer defeat, but he suffered captivity for his people. Joash plundered the capital and the temple. The miseries of regret, again, as he thought it over. Can you imagine how foolishly he must have felt when he is thinking, man, I got a big head and I challenged Joash to a battle and look what it, look what it did for me. Look where I ended up. How foolishly Amaziah had brought this trouble upon himself. And that's what presumption will do. It is sure to result in hard times in more ways than one. It ends in the bitter humiliation of defeat and dishonor. And it usually ends like it did here for Amaziah in loss. Either loss of property or reputation or friendship. Maybe all of these things at once. It often brings down upon a man the harsh rebuke of those who have been injured along with the one 
who offended because this kind of thing, this kind of guilt usually brings misery to more than just the person who started it off. Those that he brought it upon suffered a lot. It was Jerusalem, Judah, and Amaziah who suffered. It wasn't just Amaziah. And many times Satan will lead you to think, well, it's just you. that If, if anything goes wrong or, or if I can go on a, a, with this sin, I'm the only one who's going to be affected. That's a lie of the enemy. Just like here, Jerusalem, Judah, and Amaziah, they all were affected by Amaziah's presumption. We have to know our limitations so that we don't make a bad and fatal mistake. We need to ask God, hey, God, show us, Lord, show us our weaknesses. And in this parable, Amaziah, Judah's king, is the thistle, and he wanted to defeat Israel's army. Joash, king, who was king of Israel, was the cedar. Amaziah became proud after defeating Eden, like I said, and he wanted to defeat Israel. But Joash warned him, hey, don't meddle. You have no business to meddle. He warned him, don't attack. Amaziah had more ambition than he had ability. And he paid for it when he was decisively defeated. We can't let ambition and pride into our life because they will both cause us to forget God and we can never win. Father, thank you for this wonderful word, Lord. Thank you again for the lessons that you teach us, Father. And Lord, again, may they not just be things that we store in our memory banks, God, but may they be applications to our life. God, may we live out, flesh out the words, God, the lessons and the the applications here, God. Father, may we take them to heart and God not be like Amaziah and and do things half-heartedly, Lord. But as as Paul said, Lord, may everything we do, may we do heartily to the Lord. May we do it with all of our heart, all of our soul, strength, and mind, Lord. Father, may we give you our all. May we not hold back in anything. And Father, if there's any resistance to completely obeying your word, Father, may we get rid of it, God. Because half half obedience is really complete disobedience, Lord, because we haven't carried out your command to the full extent, God. And maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you have difficulty carrying out God's commands, knowing what you need to do. But you can't. You don't have the ability to do it. You don't have the power. There's weakness in your life. And that's because we're but mere men. But through Christ, who strengthens us, Nothing is impossible. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship. And if you want to receive Christ as your Lord, your Savior, your God, then as we worship, you get up out of your seat, 
make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray a simple prayer of faith together.